Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Greetings and welcome back to our study in the book of John. We are in John 15. We're making our way through verse by verse, so you can start going over there in your Bibles. Tom, a young man from the city, moved into a small farming community and moved next to a vineyard. Eventually, he met a man who farmed the land and complimented him on the deep green color of the vines. Rain had been abundant that month, and results were evident. So the farmer's reply surprised Tom somewhat. He said, my young vines are especially vulnerable right now. Even a short little drought could have a devastating effect on the harvest. Why is that, Tom asked. The farmer explained that while we see the frequent rains as a benefit, during that time the vines are not required to push roots deeper in search of water. To their detriment and danger, the roots remain near the surface of the ground. A sudden drought would find the plants unprepared and fragile and quickly kill them. And just like those young vines, some Christians receive abundant rains of worship and fellowship and teaching. But when a crisis enters their life, many suddenly abandon God or, or think Him unloving. Their faith roots have never punched through very far into their surface, beyond the surface of their lives. And they are vulnerable when a crisis comes. Only roots grown deep into God and His Word are ready for the trials that this life will invariably bring to each one of us. Listen, don't let God's Word go in one ear and out the other. When you're here, try to stay with the message, and so many of you do. It's, it's kind of fun to watch you take notes as, as I give the sermon you're fully engaged. That's the way you want to be when you listen to God's Word. When you come and you open your Bible, whether it's here or whether it's at home, be engaged to hear what God is speaking to you because you want your roots to punch through all the way as deep as they can go into His Word. We are facing some difficult days ahead if, if God doesn't call us out right away here anytime soon. Fears of our economy and the bank's failing around us, our concerns for us. Fears that nuclear war is close by as, as China and Russia begin to rattle their sabers. And fears of the coming destructive liberal agenda, even here to Idaho. People think they've, that they're, we're free of it here, but we are not. This isn't heaven. Not yet. And it never will be. Until we get to heaven, we have to be ready because all of this is at our doorstep. We want to be ready. Now is not the time to play Lone Ranger. Now is the time to go all in Braveheart. I picked Braveheart because I just woke up a bunch of men when I said that word. And I went, Braveheart? Are we going to watch Braveheart for the movie? No, we're not going to watch Braveheart. <laughs> I just want to use the analogy that you don't go out onto the battlefield with your armor back at home. You don't go out onto the battlefield without being prepared with other soldiers around you. You want to stay connected. And again, God created the church for that purpose and that reason. 
so that we could link arms together, that we wouldn't have to go out onto the battlefield alone. Listen, I'd rather have three men at my side who are plugged into Jesus, who are prayed up when I go out onto the battlefield than a thousand men who aren't. Men, who are your battle buddies? And I know that sounds funny to some of you, but the army came up with this a couple of decades ago. They realized that just sending men out onto the, into conflict was not as good as if you had a battle buddy that you trained with, that you could depend on, that you were shoulder to shoulder when you exited whatever the vehicle was, whether it's a helicopter or whatever, when you were inserted into an area, I want to know that my battle buddies are on my left and my right, and we've got each other's backs. Who's your battle buddy? You just need three or four battle buddies. Uh, really, ten are too many for most of us who can't keep that, that many around us. These are battle buddies that stay in the Word. They're prayed up. These are the guys that you can call in the middle of the night at two in the morning and they'll answer their phone because it's you calling and you wouldn't be calling unless there was an emergency. These are the guys that'll pray for you, that'll get in their car and drive over to your house and say, I'm here. What do you need me to do? How can I help? And if you don't have a battle buddy, how can you get one? Well, let me tell you, there are good places to start for you women you have three Bible studies going on midweek. That's awesome. There are opportunities for you to link arms with other women. Men, we have a Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. Get involved. Come and, and link arms together. Don't walk onto the battlefield by yourself. That's a dangerous thing to do. Get to know these guys and, and show up. In John 15, we're introduced to two pictures of followers of Christ. On the way over to church this morning, I, I got to think of what Jesus was doing with these young men, many, you know, probably somewhere between 18 and, and 22 years of age. These were very young men. And they're about to go through the hardest days of their life that they could imagine. The men they walked through for three years, their Messiah, their teacher, their, the love that they had from Him and the friendship that they had with Him would now all be tested like never before. Beyond their wildest imagination, Jesus knew they were going to be tested in these hours that lay ahead. And so He had much to say to them. I thought to myself, if I knew that I had two hours to live, what would I do? Well, if I could, I would grab all my family together, all our kids, all six of them. I would grab all 14 of our grandkids. I would gather them together. I would grab all my friends that I could grab and sit in a room, and I would give them final encouragements. I would tell them, listen, this is going to be hard, but you can make it through. With Jesus Christ leading the way, you can make it through. Stay plugged into Him. Stay plugged in. Don't, don't unplug now. I would tell them much. I would tell them how much I love them. I would tell them how much now that I was leaving, it would be important for you kids to love one another. I wouldn't be here to, to encourage that. So listen to my words. Love one another. Stay together as a family. I would tell them so many things. And this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's giving them final instructions before their world would fall apart. Now there's 11. Judas has gone to betray Jesus. Jesus has said, go 
as we heard a few weeks ago, go, do what you're going to do, but do it quickly. And he left that party in the upper room. And now there's 11, and Jesus is going to speak to these final 11, and he's telling them what to do. I love how Jesus uh, uses metaphor and analogies. I, it speaks to me. I, I, I love word pictures that he paints. And he's going to paint yet another we're going to see here today. Verse 1. We're going to see that word picture number one is the abiding branch. The abiding branch. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Jesus, right away, he, de- he defines who everyone is in this beautiful word picture he gives. From the beginning, he says, I am the true vine. So we know that as we work our way through this, when the vine is spoken of, it's Jesus is the metaphor. And my father is the vine dresser. So now we know who plays that part and that role. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoken to you. He, remember, he told Peter, listen, you don't need a whole bath, Peter. I'm just going to wash your feet because as you walk through this world, you're going to get them dirty. You don't need a whole bath. Jesus says you're already clean. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Are you hearing this word over and over and over? You'll hear the word abide 11 times in these 11 verses. I think it's pretty important. When you hear a word more than twice in a story, it's important to go see what it means. And we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes here. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. We talked about this last week, being so close to God, abiding in his word that your prayers become more effective as you pray. Why? Because you know you have a better idea of what God wants in any situation. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. He's about to get arrested. He's, a, he's speaking of, of crucifixion. He's talking about going back to the Father. The, the disciples are going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. You're our Messiah. We've poured three years into this. You, you've poured three years into us. What are you talking about that you're leaving? And so Jesus is, is giving them reassurances here that His joy may remain in them and that your joy may be full. 
Wine played a, a critical part of the Jewish culture and economy. All the Jews would have been familiar with, uh, at some level, with the cultivation principles and the benefits of wine. There are four vineyard references that Jesus is used here in a metaphorical story that we must understand each one of them if we're to grasp the teaching of Jesus here. So in your notes, letter A, we have the vine. There are three types of references to vines in the Bible. First, we learn of the past vine. The past vine represents the nation of Israel. Uh, It's primarily used in the Old Testament. God, in His mercy and grace, had taken Israel, we know, out of Egypt in captivity and transplanted her into His promised land. He gave her everything she needed to thrive and produce fruit. But she turned unto her own way and rebelled against Him. This is not unlike our nation, is it not? America, that you know, so many people say we were never a Christian nation, but that's not true. You go back to hundreds of documents to the point that this nation began with the hand of God involved in all our forefathers, or many of our forefathers. And we have drifted away from our moorings. God has granted us mercy and grace and time, but how often do we wander from Him like the prodigal son our country has wandered away? And as President Ronald Reagan once said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. I would encourage you to pray for your country. Pray for our leaders. God can use ungodly men to do His will. We see it time and time again throughout Scripture. If He can use a donkey, He can use... uh, I better be careful here. (laughs) Pray Pray for godly leaders to rise up. Pray that He'll work through ungodly leaders. The blessed nation of Israel regularly produced wild grapes, ungodly grapes, sour to the taste bud and harmful to itself and others. And God had to regularly discipline it. It's the story of the book of Judges where the nation would sin and fall into sin. And then they would cry out to God and God would send a judge to judge them, but also to point them away from the sin and back out of the valley. And yet they would go back into it within a generation. You'll read time and time again. And then there arose a generation that did not know God and did not follow Him. And they would fall. It's the story of humanity, really. That's the past vine. Now here's the second vine that's in Scripture. That um, There's the future vine of the earth, which... Um, is played out in Revelation, and it describes the condition of the unsaved Gentile vine that's on the earth after he takes his people out that matures until it's ready for God's final judgment of rebellious mankind. That's the Gentile vine we hear of. And conversely, in in that same metaphor, the believers are called the vine of heaven. The vine of the earth will one day be destroyed, but the heavenly vine will live forever with Christ and enjoy Him. And then there's the third type of vine, the present vine, which is Jesus in the church age. He's the original good vine from which all other believers are made from and tied into. uh, we, We Gentiles 
believers are grafted into the good vine, and we must remain in Him in order to produce good fruit. When I built my first house down in San Diego, I had this patio that was built on the back, and I wanted to build a, a grape arbor. And that, so the great, I'd seen this picture of, 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 of vines coming up and the branches going out over the, the top of this you know, patio, and I thought, I want that. And so I dug a little ditch, and I stuck some grape uh, things in there, and I, I put a little good soil in there, sprinkled that in, and, and, um, and they began to crawl up the lattice. But by the time it, it, they started to go across the top of the patio, I began to see trouble. My little branches were so thin that they began to break, and any grapes that would grow on them would actually start to pull the branch away from the original vine. And I, had, I just couldn't keep the grapes. The grapes were small because they weren't getting enough water. I didn't understand what pruning was, and that you had to prune carefully along there. And, uh, and eventually, uh, many of, uh, it kind of just turned it into an ugly mess. A friend of mine came over and said, oh, here's what you're doing wrong. It's too late for this year, but maybe next year you can fix this. The same is true in our lives. On our own, we are fragile and broken people at best. But when we get rooted into uh, the good vine, which is Jesus Christ, it changes everything for us. Our roots go deeper. They become stronger. And they feed us spiritually in order that we might produce a sweet flavor that draws others to Christ and brings God glory. But we've got we've to stay connected to the main vine for the nutrients. And, and the truth is, really, some of us just need to stop being sour grapes. We need to start becoming that heavenly-scented fruit that pleases our Father and reflects the image of His restoration via Christ's blood poured out at Calvary that's changed everything in us. We should have a beautiful harvest around us that draws the thirsty to be filled and transformed through His salvation. Amen? Amen. And we just keep working forward. So remain in the vine and be strengthened, nurtured, and fruitful. We're looking at four vineyard references here. Letter A, we have the vine. And B, we have the branches. We are the branches. Vine branches alone are not good for much apart from bearing fruit. If they don't bear fruit, you really can't use them for anything. It's not like you can build houses out of grape branches. At least I wouldn't recommend it. They're only, bear, they're only good for bearing fruit because that's how God created them. We followers of Christ can only thrive and bear fruit when we are in fellowship with Jesus. As we draw upon Him, for our strength and the grace to live our life, we bear the fruit of our Master. Husbands, we can't, we can't be godly leaders in our home if we're not in the vine. If we don't remain in the vine, as Jesus said. If we're not allowing Him to pour into us. Wives, you can't fulfill God's calling to support your husband or to have a godly home unless you're, you're connected to the vine and remain in the vine. Christian, you need God's strength and wisdom, His love, and so much more to successfully bear fruit in this world that you were called into. Scripture is full of examples of this. The sheep need a shepherd. The body needs the head, which is Christ. And we branches need the vine to produce good fruit. 
And this word abide that we talked about earlier, 11 times in these 11 verses, it's kind of important, right? Well, here's the word for abide. It means in the, from the Greek to be attached to or to have fellowship with or to remain in. It means to abide. And how can we do this? Well, by staying in the Word, by having an active prayer life, by obeying what the Word tells us. It's not good enough to be hearers of the Word only, but to be doers, we need to actually do what Jesus is saying. You know, He said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I have told you to do? And then by confessing our sin and keeping short accounts of it, sin separates us from the vine. How can I tell if you're abiding in Christ? What are the signs? Well, first of all, I would tell you, don't lean on your feelings. I don't feel like I'm very connected with God today, you might say. But feelings have nothing to do with it. Feelings will tell you lies. Here are a few evidences of abiding in Christ, though, that you can depend on. If you're abiding in Christ, you're fruitful in your witness. You're going to want to tell other people because... Jesus is, is pouring into you. You're, you're connected and you want to turn and you want to share it with someone else. Whether it's a neighbor or maybe an unsaved family member, it might be the waitress that you go to lunch at afterwards. You're just going to want to share your faith. And then your prayers are being answered. Why? Because you're, getting, you're drawing closer to God and, and you're able to d- discern what His will is in a situation. You begin, you begin to pray along with His will, and you're seeing your prayers answered. And God is pruning away the dead branches in your life, and that's where pain comes in sometimes. He's removing things that He doesn't want in your life. Abiding in the vine calls us to worship. It calls us to study. It calls us to prayer, meditation, and obedience regularly as we walk through this world with Him. And these practices bring about a spiritual connection with God that nothing else can bring. It brings a peace, a love, a joy, a purpose, a closeness with God that perhaps you couldn't even imagine before. Four vineyard references here. We've looked at the vine. We've looked at the branches. And now letter C, we have the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the one who prunes and cares for the vine. And Jesus tells us this is the work of His Father. Sometimes we ask God if we could be more fruitful for Him, but we squirm around or we run away when the vine dresser pulls out the pruners. We don't want to be pruned. We want to hold on to some of the things that are in our life that God doesn't want anymore. He wants to prune some of the things away. Listen, God will prune out dead branches from your life. A past regret. A relationship that hinders you and is not good for you. Or unhealthy goals that we have set in our life. Or unhealthy addictions that we might have. God wants to prune those away The question is, will we let Him? He wants to make us healthy, producing, and growing branches. Sometimes the vine dresser will prune away large clusters of grapes as well. I read uh, some of the uh, process for vineyards, and sometimes a branch will try to take on too many grapes at once, and there'll be cluster after cluster after cluster in the branch. Well, if you leave it that way, 
Those clusters cannot all thrive on one branch. So the vine dresser will see this and he will cut away certain clusters of grapes, leaving the most productive one there so that they can produce a sweet grape that is, is awesome at the end. And I'm telling you, it's uncomfortable. The role of a vine dresser is critical. Vine dress, uh, vineyards will actually train up vine dressers. They train them on how to prune so that it's done perfectly. They need to know where to cut. They need to know how to cut. And they need to know how much to cut away. I was reading one of the stories and branches will, of course, they, they divide and they separate and they go into other branches. And it's critical where you cut. You don't cut before the branch divides. You cut after and then it's not a it's not a 90 degree cut they said it's a 45 degree cut i can't explain why but that's what a wise vine dresser does god knows exactly how to prune in your life and in mine wouldn't always be uh, our plan in fact i i think i always have different plans from god but then he comes along and does something radically better in the end for me than i had planned originally the truth is, if the branches could speak, they would tell you that they don't like this pruning process. It's painful. But I will tell you this, it'll be worth it all down the road as God prunes. There, Yes, there is pain involved sometimes. But down the road, when you look back, you go, oh, okay, now I understand. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.